Amen. Thank you, Logers, for leading us in song. It's good to be somewhat back together. We're making incremental steps toward uh, gathering again here. Uh, we're trusting the Lord's providence and timing. And we're very much looking forward to being back together. Uh, just, just grateful to see even a handful of you this morning uh, here at the church to sing with you. And I just appreciate all the hard work as well that continues to be on display in the, in the, in the efforts of our team. Uh, I think it's good and right to just recognize that, to thank God for people that have been putting in the hours and the time to uh, make this happen. And each and every one of you are a true grace uh, from God to me, and uh, just want to uh, praise God for you in that regard. Renovation Church uh, went to bed last night in somewhat of a state of concern. I'm sure you've been watching the news. You're seeing all uh, the events taking place in our world. Uh, I'm sure you share with me uh, with a sense of just a heaviness, uh, a brokenness, um, a sadness, and a sorrow. Uh, and yet this morning, uh, woke up uh, this morning to just see that our mayor had declared a state of emergency for our city. And really, that's just uh, somewhat descriptive of what's going on all across the nation. Uh, I believe the count I saw yesterday that uh, protests were taking place in, in 38 cities. Uh, and um, just a, a difficult day that we live in uh, together. Uh, and I'm sure you're coming to the realization of that even more so now. And I think at the end of the day, uh, it just just clear to me that we have a major sin problem. Not a minor one. That The day in which we live is just characterized by intense, increasing, visible sin. And that's why we feel that heaviness, that brokenness. Because, because sin is real. And sin is destructive uh, in our society. And uh, also, at the very same time, I think it's fitting to just feel the desperation uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we have a major sin issue in our world, and it all the more draws us near to uh, an appreciation for a longing to see more visibly the great hope and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer. And so it's my prayer that in this moment, that even as we engage the Word of God together, that we'll remember what the real enemy is, sin, Satan, and also understand what the real solution is. And that is Jesus Christ. His work, His death, His love, and His justice for the world. And so, i got to be honest, uh, in preparing for this message, there was just a little bit of a, 
uh, an excitement leading up to Sunday because I thought it would be an amazing opportunity to remind each and every one of us of this sweet treasure that we have in Christ, that the psalm that we're looking at this morning really points us to, and really felt that in preparation for this, that this would be an opportunity to just encourage and to affirm, and at the same time, to just just carefully point out any potential deviations from this, a little bit of a gentle warning. And this morning I woke up wondering, like, does this even make sense, the treasure that I'm going to talk about today? Is, it, does it, is, it, is there a disconnect? But the more I began to think about it, the more I began to realize that God is sovereign. And he knew, uh, even though it was in a way that maybe we wouldn't plan in our own logic and the steps that we might take, that, that God knew what we needed to hear today. And that God, in the midst of the world in which we live, in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the sorrow, has something very redemptive and and true to say to us today. Today, in our time, the truth of the Word of God speaks to us. Not out of touch with our reality, but very much in touch with our broken reality. And so I want to bring you this morning, it's this series, Good News from the Psalms, as we see us in week 10, 12, I don't even know where we are at this point, in this pandemic, uh, uh, just seeking good news, and now we see that, that another pandemic rises to the surface, and we simply turn to the Word of God And he wants to speak to us clearly. So let's turn to Psalm 133. Good news. Good news. Not tone deaf. Not sentimentality. But good news for us in our day, in our time. Pointing to us, pointing us to a great treasure. A sweet gift. Psalm 133. Turn there, follow with me. The psalmist says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of God in all God's people said. Amen. The word of God for us in this time. Amen. There are things that are good in this world and things at the very same time that are not pleasant. I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to mind would be the dentist. The dentist is good, but the dentist is not so 
pleasant. It's good for us. We need it. Now, granted, in our day, most of the dentists have been shut down. So I don't know about you, but I could really use a cleaning. Might be more pleasant than normal. But nonetheless, the dentist is good, but typically not seen to be pleasant or pleasing. On the other hand, there are things that are pleasing and not so good. The first thing that comes to my mind is the French fry at McDonald's. Man, they are pleasing. At least in the moment, the French fry at McDonald's could not be more pleasing. Uh, 20 minutes after, maybe a little less pleasing. Why? Because we know that they are not good for our bodies. Right? Those French fries, I think Jim Gaffigan says they turn into like styrofoam packing peanuts after a while. And so French fries are pleasing, but they're not good. The psalmist is bringing these two things together. Something that is good, something that you could say is what ought to be, what is right. This is what ought to be. And at the same time, he's bringing together what is pleasing, what is pleasant, what is sweet. Spurgeon calls this idea of something that's pleasing, like, like music, like sweet harmony and melody, like honey, something that is pleasing, something that we want. So in this moment, we see the psalmist is putting forth for us something that is both what ought to be and what something that is at the very same time what we want to be. This uh, uh, intersection of two things that oftentimes don't come together. What ought to be, what is good, what is pleasing, what we want. He's saying this is what is both good and pleasing. What is what ought to be and what we want to be. This reality. He says it's this. When brothers dwell in unity. When brothers dwell in unity. That state, that reality is both good and pleasing. It brings together both worlds in that regard. It's what's good and pleasing. And this psalm happens to come in the midst of the section of scriptures called the Songs of Ascent. It's this moment where the people of God come together and they ascend to Jerusalem for the appointed feasts in their season. And what are they doing? They're coming together from all over the place surrounding Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, uh, Israel and all the surrounding regions. They come together and they're, they're coming to live together and worship together, united as the one people of God to worship God. And he's saying, man, how good and how pleasing is that moment, is that reality Is that truth when brothers come together in unity? Now, please don't misunderstand the word brothers. It's not just the men in the room. It's the men and the women. The brothers would be the covenant family. All-inclusive. Men and women who were a part of the covenant family, enjoyed relationship with the Lord. These people coming together as God's family bound together in covenant, when they come together, man, it's so good, it's so pleasing, it's sweet, it's like honey, it's like a sweet melody, it's music that is pleasing to the ears, 
there's such a refreshing reality to see men and women and children in God's covenant family coming together as one to worship their God. Man, that is good. That is pleasant. And you say, well, tell me more about that. What is it about it? Help, help me understand why this is so good and pleasing. Give me a metaphor for it. Help me understand it. Help me to grab a hold of this. And you can't imagine anyone in our day today saying, well, let me explain it to you a little bit. It's kind of like the, 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 the oil running down on Aaron's beard. Or it's kind of like the dew from Hermon coming down on Zion. Two metaphors that we see in verse 2 and 3, right? He says it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the, mountain, on, on the mountains of Zion. You know, we wouldn't necessarily equate in our day uh, these things with something that's so good and pleasant. So it might be helpful for us to just look a little bit at this and try to understand why these metaphors are significant. Well, the first one about this precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, is talking really about and signifying in that metaphor the sacred anointing. The blessing of God's uh, um, presence in his peop- with His people. That Aaron was this priest that was anointed uh, for his sacred duty. And that, that anointing signified the sacred, holy presence of God with His people. And, so when, and also you get this idea of abundance, right? This, this pouring over, running down, all over, making a mess, this abundant provision. And so when we hear this metaphor of this precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, what we're saying is, is that this, this community of people that gather as one, they signify and display the presence of God, the sacred blessing of the presence of God in the midst of His people. And not only that, we see this metaphor of the dew of Hermon, this mountain that again is higher than Zion, that because of the air and the winds and the atmosphere, that it would come down on Zion and it would be a sign of God's provision, His blessing of provision for His people. And again, you get this idea of abundance, this visible sign, this experience of God's abundant provision for His people. So what he's saying is, is that when, when brothers come together, when, when the covenant family comes together to worship and to live together, united as one to worship, we're seeing on display something unlike any other. We're seeing God's presence in God's provision in a way that we don't see in any other place. We see God's blessing in the midst of His people. That's what is like, uh, that's what is so good and so pleasant about it. Is really we're seeing God's blessing, His grace 
on display in the way people are coming together as one. And we can't miss this visual either as we see this idea of it coming from the top to the bottom. It flowing down, over the head, down the, the face, down to the collar, down from Hermon to Zion. This idea that most theologians see is that really this points to the fact that, that, that this idea of unity and the blessing of unity coming together as one as God's people is something that comes down from above. It's something that's given. It's a reality that is provided for by God Himself. A recognition that is not something that we can create on our own, this idea of unity. But it's something that God gives to us, that He pours out abundantly as an expression of His grace. Verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. John Piper talks about another time in the Old Testament where this word good and pleasant is coupled together. It's actually not far from Psalm 133. If you just go two more Psalms forward, in Psalm 135, you see it in verse 3. Psalm 135 verse 3 says this, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good Sing to His name, for it is pleasant. You see that there? The Lord is good. His name is pleasant. You see, when we're talking about the good and pleasant joy and blessing of coming together as one, as the people of God, we're talking about the nature of our God. And that's what takes place when the people come together. They experience and display the very nature of the God that they worship. All the more showing us that this idea of unity, this coming together as one, is something that flows down from Him. Again, all of this idea of this sweet unity is put in the, over the backdrop of such a, a, a tumultuous time of division and discord. And I want to just give you a sweet reminder of where true unity comes from. It doesn't come from us trying harder or doing better or just simply working at it apart from it being given to us up from above. It is a reflection of the nature of the God that we worship. True unity has its source, the nature of God. We turn to God. We praise Him. The God who is three in one. That's what we see here. Him pouring it out. His blessing. It coming down. He is the one who is true unity. And He shares this with His people. Praise the Lord. He is good. Sing to His name. He is pleasant. He has made us one as His people. That's what the psalmist is celebrating here in verse 1. That's what he's explaining in verses 2 and 3. That's what he is uh, putting out for us. And we understand that this is 
fundamentally the nature of the good news of Jesus Christ. That this is what He has done for us. Again, I woke up this morning with such a heavy heart, confronted with the sin of division and selfishness and injustice and discord and all the violence that we see from multiple, a magnitude of sources. It's not a time for finger pointing one to the other. It's really a collective issue that we face. And at the end of the day, it gets right down to the sin of the human heart. The only solution faced with the reality of the brokenness of our world and the division that we have, the only solution is Jesus. Let me tell you, let me say it a little bit different. There's so much that I'm confused about in these moments. There's so much that I don't know. Let me just admit that for you right now. There's so much that I don't understand. There's so much that I need to learn. There's so much that, I'm, that, that, that I just scratch my head about when we look at the world in which we live. I don't know pretty much a ton. Here's what I do know. Here's what I'm fully convinced of. Sin is the real enemy. Sin. Sin is the real enemy. And Jesus is the real, all-sufficient solution. For every issue that we face, He is the remedy that will bring about the reconciliation and the unity that we long for. Without Christ giving us unity, without Christ bringing us together as one, we will always be segregated. We will always be divided, no matter how we try, without the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need Jesus. And here's the wonderful news that the, the Bible just brings us to the fulcrum of redemptive history and has dealt specifically with every one of these issues, and they've been dealt with in Jesus. Please, I want to be careful with my tone here. I want to be careful because I don't mean to harp and to yell, but I do mean to be bold as we give a sweet reminder of this lovely gift and treasure we have. Understand clearly, don't mistake that it must come from Jesus. And there's great joy in this treasure, but it only can come from Jesus. I saw someone today put a quote out there that basically levels the playing field, that we're all children of God. I understand the sentiment, but please understand, we are all the children of God only in Jesus Christ. We only have that peace and unity because of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 is clear that it is in Christ that the two men that were divided, Jew and Gentile, are brought together as one new man and are being built together as the one temple of God that He lives in by His Spirit. It is in Christ. He is our peace. He has broken down the wall of hostility. Without Jesus, there is simply no peace. But please, with Christ, as we turn to Him in faith, as we're united to Him in His death and resurrection, we now share and understand and live in peace. That's the sweet reminder that we have today. It's there. It's there in Christ-given, Christ-secured uh, community because of the cross of Jesus. It's in that moment. That's where the Lord has commanded the blessing. Verse 3. It's there. 
It's in the gathered people. It's in the, the community of the saints. It's in the reconciled people of God. It's there. When they come together, when they are together as one worshiping me, it's there that the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. That's eternal life. That's what he died for. That's what he secured in the gospel on the cross. That. And if we can just settle down for a minute here and just remember that that's what we miss when we come together as the people of God. We miss the, the foretaste of heaven that we get when we gather as the people. When we sing and worship as the people of God. That's what the unifying moment of corporate worship enables us to see together and experience just a glimpse, just a glimpse of what heaven will be like one day. This sweet treasure Sweet treasure, sweet gift to be treasured, known as Christian unity. We get to taste it every time we're together. And that's why virtual online services just don't cut it. Because they don't give us that foretaste. They don't show us the reality of the kingdom where every tribe, tongue, People, nation, and language are gathered before the throne room and before the Lamb singing the one chorus, salvation belongs to our God. Revelation chapter 7. And that's what we miss. It's in that moment that we get a taste of it already, like right now. And that's what we long for again. This idea of Christian unity that is on display as we gather. The people from every economic, social, ethnic uh, uh, background, no matter where they come from, no matter what language they speak, in this place, throughout the globe, come together to worship the great God of heaven. As they anticipate being together as one in heaven. That Christian unity, that is a sweet gift to be treasured. And I want you to treasure it this morning. I want you to see it for what it is and treasure it. Already, when we gather, we see it, we taste it. And yet at the same time, I think we're confronted with the reality that it's not yet. That there's still something that we long for. There's still something that we await. We wake up today to a, to a nation that is segregated, to a nation that feels the weight of, of a lack of reconciliation, that doesn't know peace. That there's still something missing. There's still something lacking. We still long. We wait. And we hear the, the songs and the psalms. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Until we sing in that moment, in that day. Christian unity is a sweet gift from God to be treasured. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's something that God has given to us in Christ on the cross. So see it. Let it be a sweet reminder for you this morning. It's simple. It's short. But it's sweet. Christian unity. If you know Christ, you've been brought into a family. You've been brought into a united people. 
You share in the gift that Christ died for. Even as He prayed to the Father, as He went to the cross, may they be one, even as we are one. If you know Jesus Christ, you've been grafted in. You've been adopted into a family. You've been bound by covenant to Christ and His people. You know and enjoy and experience the sweet gift the sweet treasure of Christian unity. Even as you're isolated and segregated in your homes because of the coronavirus, understand the reality and the truth that you have that no virus or pandemic can ever strip from you. Union with Christ and His people. That's what God has done in Christ. That's what we see when we come together as a people That's what we know when CNY one church is gathered to pray. When nine churches plus and over a hundred people gather to pray as one church. We see the unity that Christ has secured. And that's what we've seen in the face of this crisis. As churches and ministries have come together and said, you know what? In In a difficult day, in a dark hour, we do not compete We do collaborate. We do work together. We do serve because our Christian unity is real and nothing can take it away. And even in the darkest hour, in the deepest of crises, this gift is real and enjoyed by those who are in Christ. Let it be a sweet reminder to you. Christian unity is a sweet gift from God to be treasured. So treasure it. Enjoy it, rest in it, long for it. But even beyond that, a simple instruction, a simple admonition, gentle, beware of seeds of discord, beware of seeds of division that would seep in from culture into the church, Seep in into your family, into your own heart. Simple seeds that when ignored and minimized can grow. Seeds become weeds and weeds become trees. And trees have a way of producing cracks in community. So beware. And so the simple admonition and encouragement for us as the people of God today is that while we have this gift from Jesus to treasure, we also have this God-given reality to be maintained. That's what the Scriptures call us to. To not just treasure something, but to maintain it. Protect it. Care for it. Invest in it. Ephesians 4 tells us, I therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Yes, treasure this gift. Yes, rest in this gift. But please, protect it. Maintain it. Invest in it. Give yourselves to the treasuring and maintaining, watching over, constantly giving attentive to 
this unity that Christ has secured for you? How do you do that? How do we do that in an age where our culture and nation is overrun by racial and political divisions that will pretty much fight about anything? Online, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, the news. We're pretty much willing to go toe-to-toe in our world over anything. How do we maintain it in our church? Well, Paul tells us. Christ-like character, fruit of the Spirit, depending on Him. We keep the, the gift in focus. We do so by putting on the Lord Jesus in His character. We're being the, the Scripture commands us to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one or in love. That's how we maintain the unity of the Spirit. It's an attitudinal, relational approach, a Christ-like one that we take toward others, even those we might disagree with, even those that we may not share a perspective with, those that are different and think different than us, we're humble with them. We're gentle with them. We're patient with them. Brett McCracken in his article talking about don't let the coronavirus divide you calls the church to a countercultural patience, a countercultural humility, a countercultural bearing with one another, even a nuance he talks about. In our all or nothing world, choosing sides and tribes, nuance, patience. I mean, I know in my own home that a disagreement can plant a seed of division and discord in our marriage and in our family. And this week we've had a few moments, just off the cuff. And I realized that I wasn't approaching my own marriage with humility and patience and forbearance. And I was slowly just throwing seeds of discord because my posture towards someone I disagreed with wasn't Christ-like. It was very selfish and self-preserving, haughty and proud. And again, I don't have all the answers for us today about how to solve every problem, but I do know that the answer is Christ and His character on display, empowered by the Spirit in the way that we treat people, even people that we disagree with. Disagreements don't have to bring division. Even as we come back as a church, there'll be people that think we should be wearing masks and people that think that masks are craziness. Humility, patience, forbearing, sympathy, sensitivity, love, sacrifice, generosity, Maybe say it this way, listen before you speak, serve before you require, right? Give before you take, maybe overly simplistic, 
but basically thinking of others more important than yourselves. What we're calling you to is to live in a way that reflects the Christ work, Christian, uh, the Christ exalting work that has been done for you and in you in such a way to display the peace of Christ in our relationships. Renovation Church, this is first and foremost a sweet reminder of the joy that we have in the gospel. We have been united as one in Christ. It is a sweet gift that we're to treasure. But it's also as a a recipient of that gift, we now have a responsibility to maintain that reality in the gospel, in, in the church of Jesus Christ. Ligon Duncan says, God does not tell us to create unity. He tells us to preserve it. He creates the unity. He gives the unity. It's our job not to disrupt the unity, not to break up the unity, not to take for granted the unity, but to maintain the unity. And here David is emphasizing that it is the Lord who has commanded this blessing, life forevermore. What a blessing he has commanded in Christian unity, one in Christ, together we are. What a sweet thing. Amen? That's what it is. And let me affirm Renovation Church here. Because it's obvious that I'm preaching to the choir. In many ways, I'm just encouraging you, reminding you what you have, who you are, and, and, and what your responsibility is. But this is that very thing you've been doing already. You've been giving. You've been serving. You've been loving. You've been sympathizing. You've been praying. You've been modeling and, and displaying the unity that Christ has given to you. Thank you so much for representing that to me, for being patient with me, for being uh, uh, gracious toward me and my family in this time. What a, what a witness you are of the gospel of Jesus and the work that it's done. And you give me a foretaste in the way that you have treated each other of the kingdom of God, where one day we will stand before him and together sing with people from every tribe, tongue, people, nation, and language, singing and declaring together, salvation belongs to our God. Amen? That's what Christian unity is. A sweet gift to be treasured and a reality to be maintained. Let it be so, Lord, at Renovation Church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ came to you and he prayed prior to his cross that your people would be one in this world. That's what we pray together today for your people, for your people in this world that they may be one just as you are one. May those who believe in Jesus through the testimony of the word of God be one. May they live as one, just as you are one with your Son, 
and with the Spirit. May your people both know and display your peace and unity in this world for the glory of your name. And may this display of unity draw people to Jesus from every tongue, tribe, people, nation, and language. May your people truly be a light in this world, in the darkness. O Father, heal our brokenness. Save us from our sins. Provide for us the new heart required to pursue peace and justice in our world. Use us as ambassadors for justice and peace. Keep us from the enemy. Watch over us. Protect us, O God. Weed out all division, hate, discord, and bring about your eternal kingdom so that men, women, and children would know the eternal joy of being in your presence, the good and pleasant reality of brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In his name, amen.